welcome to Stonebridge. Here are some announcements and things to know. During this time of virtual and social distanced worship, it's important to continue contributing to the ongoing ministry of Stonebridge. Here are the ways in which you can give. You can give online through our website at stonebridgecme.com. Click on online giving. You can give through your bank's bill pay option, or you can give through the mail. If you'd like offering envelopes sent to you, please contact the church office. Every week during the Divine Appointments message series, Pastor John is taking a deeper dive into the sermon in a podcast called Stonebridge Extras. Stonebridge Extras was created to help deepen your discipleship, deepen your understanding of the Bible, and your understanding of how to follow Jesus. Stonebridge Extras can be found every weekend wherever you downloaded this Stonebridge podcast. Our next outdoor worship service with communion will be on Sunday, March 7th at 10.30 a.m. Newly added is outdoor programming for kids and youth. Registration required for the whole family. We would love to know that you're participating in worship. Continue to share your news, prayers, and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you're following along in version, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are an important part of Stonebridge's community of faith. Once again, welcome to worship. Our scripture passage this week comes from John chapter 13, verses 21 through 30. And in this passage, Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples, his closest friends, and he has just washed their feet. And then the scripture tells us that after saying this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and declared, Very truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he was speaking. One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So while reclining next to Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. After he received the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, Do quickly what you are going to do. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the common purse, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. This week, we are continuing our sermon series entitled Divine Appointments, where we are looking at how Jesus interacts with individuals in the Gospel of John, so we can understand how Jesus interacts with us, and so we can learn how to interact with people ourselves. And this week, we're going to be taking a look at the story of Judas. Judas is the betrayer of Jesus. And there is so much in Judas' story, and at the same time, so little that we learn about from Judas' story. So as we turn to the scriptures, I invite you to join with me in prayer. Please pray with me. Lord, open up our eyes, our hearts, our ears, our minds, Open us up entirely to this story in Scripture, Lord, to this character of Judas. Help us to understand what we are supposed to do with Judas. Though this may be difficult, Lord, though it may be hard to actually understand, help us, Lord, to see you 
clearly through this story. We thank you, we praise you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. What are we supposed to do with Judas? What are we supposed to do with the betrayer of Jesus? It's actually one of the more difficult questions for me when I read scripture. It's actually not just me, though. I went back this last week and I looked at different ways that Christians throughout history have tried to understand Judas, have tried to interpret his story, and have added different endings to his story. And what I learned was the church has never really known what to do with Judas. There's no real agreement about how we are supposed to interpret Judas here. Judas is the betrayer of Jesus. He hands Jesus over to be crucified. And what we learn from Judas here is that the betrayal is all the worse because of how close Jesus and Judas would have been. Judas's betrayal is deep. Judas was one of the twelve. He was one of Jesus' closest disciples, one of his closest companions. Whenever we hear Judas's story, we think negative right away. And in Scripture, when you see his name, it goes negative right away. But what we sometimes overlook was that all those stories about the twelve following Jesus, about Jesus sending them out to proclaim the gospel, all those stories of miracles where the disciples are present, the feeding of the 5,000, those stories where Jesus comes to his disciples as they're on a boat and he comforts them, all of those stories, Judas would have been there for that. Judas wouldn't have just been there for the bad stuff. He was there for all the good stuff as well. Jesus and Judas, they, they would have been close. And Judas betrays him. There's been a lot of speculation about what Judas's motivation may have been. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we learn that Judas gets 30 pieces of silver for betraying Jesus. So maybe it was money, but after three years, it seems like it had to be something more than money. That the money was just an added bonus that was thrown in there. Seems that Judas had to be disappointed, had to be disenchanted, had to be frustrated or angry. Some have speculated that Judas was a zealot, that he was part of a religious group that wanted to overthrow the government in their area. And he may have been, but he also may have just been a normal Judean. We don't really know what Judas's motivations were. In the Gospel of John, though, we get a slightly different picture of Judas. John takes us to a deeper level of Judas and who he is. And in the Gospel of John, Judas is really the embodiment of evil. Remember that light and dark are important in the Gospel of John. If somebody is walking in the light, God is reflected in them. God will reveal himself through them. Their actions reflect God's character. People will know who Jesus is through the person who is walking in the light. A person walking in the darkness, though, there is only evil. Their deeds are evil, we are told. There, there is selfishness there. There is no goodness there. And it's not an accident that in this scripture passage in John 13, when Judas goes out to betray Jesus, the narrator tells us it was night. 
Judas is literally walking in the dark. He is an embodiment of evil here. The Gospel of John also tells us that Judas, he was picked by the devil for this. Not only was he picked by Satan for this task of betraying Jesus, Judas was also controlled by Satan. We're told that Satan enters into him in John 13. And then, not only that, but Jesus says that Judas himself is a devil. So Judas isn't just controlled by the devil, isn't just picked by the devil. He is a devil, Jesus says. This all begins to make me pretty uncomfortable. Because the gospel is supposed to be good news for the entire world. But apparently it's not good news for Judas because he's just evil. He's so far gone, apparently, that he's just evil. And the other thing that makes me uncomfortable here is that the Gospel of John tells us that he was picked from the beginning for this task of betraying Jesus. You start to wonder, did Judas have any choice in this matter? Was Judas able to ever say no to this role or, or not? And how does that all work? It's hard to know what we're supposed to do with Judas. It's really difficult to know what do we do with Judas. As I said earlier, I went back and I looked at different ways the church has reflected on Judas. And while there wasn't broad agreement, there were basically two different kind of camps. The first of those was the people who decided to try to justify Judas. Or who tried to say that Judas, he wasn't that bad or we shouldn't hold him responsible. Or that he was just playing a role. Another way of saying this one too was that maybe what Judas did was bad, but we should still embrace him. And this becomes a lesson of embracing difficult people. I want to say that I just don't think we can reconcile that with the Gospel of John or with the Gospels in general. I think Judas, what he does is wrong. What he does is evil. And we can say that, yes, it did fall into God's plan and God was able to make something good come of it. But what Judas still did was wrong. It was a deception and it was handing over Jesus to be killed. So I don't think that we can just say Judas bears no responsibility here. And this idea that Jesus embraces Judas, so that means we should embrace difficult people, I don't think that applies here. If you want stories of Jesus embracing difficult people, you can find those much more clearly in the Bible and in the Gospels. When it comes to Judas, we're not talking about a difficult person. We're talking about somebody possessed by Satan. We're talking about somebody who is portrayed as the embodiment of evil. It is beyond a difficult person. So we have to remember that. And what I want to say here is when you read this story about Judas, don't interpret this as one where you have to let people into your life who are going to do serious harm to you. That's not the point of this story. Jesus does that, but Jesus is a son of God. Jesus knows the full plan. Jesus has foreknowledge. We don't have that. So if there is somebody in your life that is causing you actual harm, I, I'd encourage you to find some help. 
Talk with a therapist to help you set up boundaries with this person. Um, talk with whoever it is you might you think might be able to help you with that. Don't just let someone in your life who's going to harm you over and over and over again. That is not the point of this story um, with Judas here. The other problem with this being a story about embracing difficult people, though, is that after the betrayal, Jesus doesn't really embrace Judas. We don't get redemption in this story. In Judas's narrative, we don't get redemption. I mean, compare Judas to Peter. Peter betrays Jesus also. Not to the same extent, but he denies Jesus. While Jesus is being tried and, and tortured, Peter says, I don't know who he is. Three times he says this. But with Peter, we get redemption. Jesus meets Peter on the beach and he reinstates him. And then in the book of Acts, Peter becomes the most dynamic evangelist. He is preaching the gospel to everyone. With Judas, we get nothing of the sort. Jesus and Judas, we don't get any sort of story of them coming face to face. Or Jesus asking Judas, why did you do this? The gospels just kind of leave Judas's motivations alone. And after the resurrection, all we get is a story in Matthew about how Judas hangs himself and a story in the book of Acts about how Judas has a farming accident and, and dies that way. There's no redemption to Judas's story. And that is probably the thing that makes me the most uncomfortable with this story. Because we proclaim this gospel of redemption, of restoration, of resurrection, but we don't get to see it here with Judas. So, some people have tried to say with Judas, we're supposed to embrace difficult people, or Judas wasn't all that bad. I don't think that that's actually what we're supposed to take away from this story. That's been one kind of general way that Christians have responded to Judas. But the other way is to go in the other opposite direction and to say, Judas is pure evil. We need to make sure that we acknowledge Judas is evil, and then... We need to look around at the people in our lives and isolate and exclude. Or, or at times, the church has actually taken it even farther and taken the lives of people that they proclaimed who were evil. So Judas becomes this stand-in for other people that we want to proclaim as evil and a reason to, to pronounce somebody evil. And I want to say, we can't actually do that either as Christians. We have to remember that the only pronouncements of evil, they come from Jesus and they come from the scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit. God can pronounce somebody evil and only God can pronounce somebody evil. As human beings, that is not our place. We don't get to make those kinds of judgments and we don't get to define people that way. That is up to God and we are just to trust that God is going to handle that. So we can't go that route with Judas either. We can't start using Judas as a justification for proclaiming people are evil. So what do we do with Judas? How do we respond to this story? How do we interpret this story? What are we supposed to do with Judas here? I wish I had a better answer for you all than the one that I'm about to give you, but my basic answer is, I don't know. I really don't know what we're supposed to do with Judas here. 
I don't know how this story ends. I don't feel like we have enough information to really glean a solid biblical principle from Jesus' interactions with Judas here. I really wish that I could tell you that this was a story about embracing someone who's difficult. Because I, I like stories of redemption, and I want to hear stories of redemption. But the sad truth is we just don't get there with Judas's story. So I don't know what to do with this story. But in acknowledging that, in embracing the fact that we don't know what to do with Judas's story, maybe we start to learn what we're supposed to do with this story and how it can help us in our own lives. Judas's story, it seems to end somewhat ambiguously. We don't learn about the eternal implications about what's going to happen to him. We're not given it spelled out clearly. This is the lesson you are to learn from, from Judas. None of, that, none of those dots are connected for us. And I can't help but speculate. I can't say this definitively, but I can't help but speculate. Maybe that's the point. We all have experiences from our lives. We have memories. We have relationships, things that have happened to us that we just can't explain fully. We want to throw a bow on it. We want to make sense of it, but we really just can't. If we're honest, I think we all have those parts in our past that we just can't make sense of them. We don't know what God was doing in that moment. We don't know where the redemption comes in that moment or from that story or from that experience or from that relationship. I mean, I think back to the many instances that I've witnessed of divorce, of marriages falling apart. Oftentimes, you don't really get to see the redemption there. It just hurts. I think back to different friendships I've watched fall apart, and I think we all have friendships and relationships where we try to patch them up. We try to make them work, but it just doesn't happen. For whatever reason, we just have to say goodbye to that friendship. We never get the resolution we want. We never get the closure that we want. We're left in this ambiguous state of tension. And I think also to just the idea of death in general. If we haven't experienced it personally, I'm sure that we can look at history and see stories of deaths that just don't make sense. Deaths that no matter how much we reflect on it, no matter how much time separates us from it, it still just hurts. We have those parts of our lives that remain unresolved, that are left ambiguous, that actually reflect Judas's story pretty well. And when we reflect on that, and when we acknowledge that maybe Judas's, Judas's story, it's not supposed to be tied up nicely. We're not supposed to know the lesson here. It's just supposed to be left uncertain, ambiguous, with tension and uncomfortable. When we accept that, Jesus's foreknowledge about his relationship with Judas, I think it starts to take on a new meaning for us. Because Jesus knew what was going to happen with Judas, and he did proceed anyway. And that doesn't mean that we should act the same way as Jesus does. He's the Son of God. He had knowledge that we don't have. But what that means is that Jesus has knowledge that we don't have. And for those situations in our life that we aren't certain of, 
those situations in our life that we don't know how it's going to be redeemed. We don't know where the resolution is going to come. Jesus has knowledge of that situation also. And Jesus is still working there. I think when we embrace Judas's story in this way, it can deepen our faith even more to where we can take those unresolved moments from our past, those broken relationships that we haven't been able to fix, and we can hand those over to Jesus and just say, I don't know what to do with this, Lord, but this is yours. Redeem this somehow. And we can have our hope deepened as well. That maybe we don't know what the resolution is to Judas's story. We don't know how far God's grace extends or if it extends to Judas. We don't know if Judas embraces God's grace. We don't know what happens there. We don't know the ending to that story. But acknowledging that, living in that tension, it can push us to a place where we can trust that when Jesus does return, when God's kingdom is established, we will look at whatever God has done with Judas and we'll just say, that makes sense. I see what you did there, God. I get it now. And with all those other areas of our lives that we aren't certain about, that we don't know how to resolve it, we don't know how to handle it, we can hand that to Jesus as well and trust that when the gospel or when the kingdom of God comes, when the gospel becomes not just good news, but reality for each and every one of us, we will trust that God knew what was going to happen, that Jesus was in control of it, and will understand why God was doing what God did in that moment. So I don't have a clear answer about what happens to Judas or what the specific lesson is that we come away from with Judas's story. But what I do have is an invitation to embrace that uncertainty, to embrace the ambiguity, to acknowledge that some things are just going to be uncomfortable for us, but an invitation to acknowledge that God is at work in that also, that Jesus is aware of that, that Jesus is working in the midst of that, and that we can trust in Jesus and thank God for that. That is good news. So I extend that invitation to you now. Take whatever it is that is unsettling to you. Take whatever it is that is unresolved in your life and hand that over to Jesus and trust that Jesus is at work there. That is our Lord. And that is a Jesus who wants to interact with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.
Justice and praise 